0: rank squad and welcome to ranks fc this is your favorite football podcast back for another week my name is jack collins and i will be your host today. and joining me as ever it's the rank god mr sam Tai. how you doing sam i'm good i'm good thank you how are you yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you very much. Later on, we are going to have the final special guest of the Sans Dean Jones era, uh, which is exciting. Gianni Petitje is joining us uh, to talk fantasy Premier League and all the dilemmas that you need to beat your friends later on in the year as the season gets underway in the Premier League. But before we get to that, Sam, start things off with things we love.
1: Yeah, and the thing I love this week is Leeds United playing football manager in the transfer market. And you know what? We (laughs) joked last week, didn't we, about Chelsea's owner, Todd Burley, playing it in real life. But it's actually Leeds United that are doing it. They've signed Mark Rocker from Bayern Munich, they've signed Brendan Aronson from Salzburg. They're set to swoop for Tyler Adams. He might even be a League United player by the time this comes out. And Luis Sinistera of Feyenoord, there's been a fee agreed for him as well. They've also been credited with a lot of interest in players like Mohamed Kamara of Salzburg and Charles de Ketelaar of Club Bruges. This is it, isn't it? This is literally Football Manager. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's yeah, glorious. Yeah. It's, it's Football Manager's kind of Red Bull edition. It's England's answer to buy a Leverkusen in the transfer market is how I'm going to bill it. Um, I think it's absolutely awesome. It's just loads of fun. And if you're a fan of this club and you're seeing these players linked to you, you know, age sort of 20 to 23 profile, exciting. Some of the best players playing at the kind of just below the top tier of Europe. It's, it's, it's really fun to watch and it must feel fantastic to know that these players are interested in signing for you as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit about Adams and Sinistera. And we'll start with Adams because. He's come in now, you know, obviously Calvin Phillips, Leeds boy, born and bred, left from Manchester City last week. And I'm sure there's a fair few tears shed over that transfer, not particularly any ill will by all accounts. Everyone seems to be pretty proud of him and the fact that he's going to take that next step and everyone's, you know, pretty pleased that he's going to get that opportunity to learn and develop under Pep Guardiola. It's, it seems all very, very friendly. And but Tyler Adams is coming in not as a like for like replacement, but someone who's going to fill that gap in midfield alongside the aforementioned Mark. Rocker, who's joined from Bayern Munich, it's an interesting one, Sam, because Adams isn't the same player, but he is going to bring a whole lot of drive and dynamism to this me- Leeds midfield.
1: He's not the same, but like it's obviously going to be really hard for Leeds to find a player like Calvin Phillips and the like for well, like replacement. Yeah? But Adam, yeah, exactly. But Adams at least is—he's um, a holding midfielder who can play in defence. I mean, he can't play; I wouldn't play him centre back like Phillips did in a three. But Adams does play right back and right wing back really well. So it's the same kind of midfield profile with a defensive instinct. And I think Adams is, is the kind of player that can sit in the, at the base. Um, he probably won't. He'll probably sit there with Mark Rocker in a pairing, which is fine. But between them, they've got enough defensive instinct and, and positional awareness to basically succeed in that area. It does feel a little bit like they're having to replace Phillips with two men. But that's just the way of it. That's how good Phillips is. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, it's one of those, isn't it? Where you're like, you have to change this around because Marsh is going to play, you'd imagine this four-two-two-two 2 2 which he played to such success on the continent. um, Well, with Salzburg at least, if not with Leipzig. Um, but it does mean that when, when you come to this, you kind of are changing things around. And, and Phillips, whilst can play almost anywhere because he's that good, you know, you can play two different players in there to kind of give you back what he had. And that will work for Marsh because of the way that this system is developed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm expecting to see, not necessarily Rocker and Adams the entire time, but you get a bit of click in there. You might even see a bit of like, you know, Strauch in there who ends up playing um, in, in midfield sometimes. You've got different different options there, different pairings for different games. That's that's quite exciting and you need the options. And, uh, you know, this is, it takes, takes us on to the other player here, which is Luis Sinistera, who looks set to be joining as well. They've had a fee agreed at least. And, you know, he gives you a different kind of look in the attacking midfield band as well. He's someone that I think will play in those narrow positions a lot more comfortably than someone like Rafinha. Um, And he's very, very exciting, you know, a needle player, someone that can take the ball in tight spaces and dribble and back heel and find his way out of a shoebox. Sometimes it's um, with, with a goal threat too. He's been absolutely phenomenal for Feyenoord. And, um, Really excited to see him come to the Premier League.
0: Yeah, for my money, one of the best players in the Europa Conference League last season. Obviously, we got to see him live in the flesh in the final in that game against Roma. He didn't have his best game uh, against Roma. He wasn't able to influence proceedings as much as he has been able to in other rounds. But, you know, up to the final Definitely one of the best players in the competition was in our team of the tournament. Someone who is able to light up games on his own, who has that ability to make things happen. And that's exactly what, you know, Leeds are going to be crying out for if Rafinha does go, which looks incredibly likely at this point. You know, you need someone who's going to come in here and and, and be that spark player. And Sinistera is very much a spark.
1: He is, yeah. And it just kind of feels like they're basically spending the Phillips and Rafinha money, aren't they? I mean, Phillips has already gone and Rafinha seems like he will absolutely go. And the important thing is, is to get some of those replacements in early doors. It's the Jack Grealish approach. Um, and you kind of have to get half your at least half your business done beforehand, before they've both gone. Because then if you are staring at the squad list and you are looking at a team without Rafinha and Phillips and no players in, and it starts to get a bit bleak, it's a bit like... I've a, a number of WhatsApp groups recently. I've received a picture of Manchester United's official midfield list on their website, and it's proper bleak. And you just really want to avoid that where possible.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, quiz, fun quiz question for you. Do you know the last two American outfielders to have taken the field together in the Premier League? Um, because this is this is a good one. Was it for Fulham? It was for Fulham because we used to be full America back in the day. Um, it's, it's an interesting, yeah. it's not you uh, think. So,
1: that. right. So is it not Clint Dempsey and Brian McBride? It is Clint Dempsey, <laughs> but he is not the second player. Is not
0: Brian McBride. And it's also not Carlos Bocanegra.
1: Don't know the answer to this one.
0: It's Eddie Johnson. Remember him? Fulham played... <laughs> Pin <laughs> Dempsey and Eddie Johnson together in 2010-11. They were the last two American outfielders to take the, uh, take the field for the same side in the Premier League. Um, so you wow. know, imagine Leeds are going to be breaking that duck next year with Adams and Aaronson. Um, but yeah, definitely exciting times to be a Leeds fan. I don't think anybody's uh, anybody's doubting that. There's lots going on. And Jesse Marsh's US revolution rolls on with a little bit of that Red Bull model added to the mix. Um I'm gonna take us on to my thing I love. And my thing I love this week is that today, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on release day, Euro 2022 begins. Um and it is incredibly exciting. 16 t- 16 teams um in this tournament, and I by my money. I reckon seven of them can win it. Now I'm excited for this tournament and I'm I'm really, really excited because it's, I've got that kind of childlike glee about a tournament that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an expert on all things women's football. And if you want a a deeper dive, there are plenty of brilliant podcasts um, that have given such brilliant overviews of this tournament and we'll continue to cover it in real depth through the thing. Um, I've loved Righty's house coming back through this whole thing and and really enjoying their build up to it. Um, But there's loads all over the place. Um, you know, Football Weekly have just released a Women's women's Football Weekly, which is brilliant. Um, but I just wanted to kind of talk very briefly through these teams that I think can win it because... start with England on home soil this Lionesses squad is incredibly talented and incredibly deep and there is a lot of confidence around this side that they are going to be you know the the team that can win a a home tournament on English soil since 1966 the first team to actually get over that line obviously the men's team came close uh, in Euro 2020 Um, the Lionesses I feel probably have an even better shot of of getting over the line here Um, and, and they have Lauren Hemp who is being posted by so many as who they think is going to be the poster girl of this tournament in so many ways. She's an absolutely glorious watch. Um, weaves through defenders. Mini messy in, in many ways. Um, but it, it does feel like this England side um, have, have the potential and the ability to go all the way. Then there's Spain who basically have Alexia, um, who's probably the best player in Europe right now. Um, and the core of this Spain team is basically the core of this Barcelona team, who have been all conquering in Spain. They obviously lost the, the final of the UWCL to Leon. Um, but that team has that kind of telepathy that goes on within these Barcelona ranks. And, and the manager, Vilda, has been well, has been criticised for a lack of picking players outside of Barcelona, basically, um, and failing to acknowledge that there is more depth in Spain than just the Barcelona ranks. Um, But the core of this squad is still incredibly talented and there's a lot of people tipping Spain to go all the way. Um, Norway's an interesting one because Ada Hagerberg is back playing international football and that's so massive for this squad. Um, She's just led Leon to another... UWCL, obviously, Caroline Graham Hansen in that attack as well. Another unreal season at Barcelona for her. And that forward line just feels like it has the potential to dismantle anyone, which is a really kind of interesting proposition. There's not the same kind of level of depth through the squad, according to pretty much all the experts, but this forward line has the potential to do anybody on their day. And that makes them a, a kind of prospect that, you know, Norway were excellent without Hegerberg, and now they've just brought for many the best player in the world back into the fold um which makes things incredibly exciting so they're on uh, on the kind of must watch list then there's the Netherlands who have Vivian Miedema who is will feel like she's playing on home soil right having played for Arsenal for the last couple of years she's revered in this country revered in the WSL as, as someone who is probably the best player in England right now. Um, they were the 2017 champions, the Netherlands. Um, they also have the likes of, of Lika Martens, who plays for Barcelona, um, she's a former Ballon d'Or winner. There's a lot going on in, in this mix of the Netherlands. Um, some question marks as well, but especially over the manager, but, they are an incredibly strong unit you go to Sweden who are ranked two in the world won silver at the Olympics It's a very well-balanced squad maybe not the same amount of superstar names in this one but just a squad that feels like it's capable of rolling over anyone a really well knit well put together squad with a lot of depth in it and um, good to France who are ranked three in the world they were knocked out in the quarterfinals of the last three European championships now they've not brought Le Sommer or Amandine Henry um, from Lyon who a lot of Lyon fans are very very upset about this by all accounts uh, that the manager has left these two out. Um there will be questions if they don't reach at least the last four. So they're hoping to go one better at the very least um, than the last couple of tournaments. And then you finish with Germany who have loads of questions but they are also eight-time champions. Deep squad but they're in indifferent form aside who know how to get things done and it's Germany in a tournament. They just they just do well don't they Like it's just what happens Germany turn up no matter what form they're in no matter how the squad looks no matter what the balance is and Germany will turn up and almost certainly go deep in this one so yeah seven teams who I think genuinely all have a really good chance of winning it out of 16 that's a massive massive proportion Uh, and it makes for I think one of the most exciting tournaments in ages I'm going to a game on the 12th um, between Germany and Spain at Brentford and then I've bagged the ticket for a final, which I'm absolutely over the moon about. So yeah, absolutely can't wait for this tournament to kick off. That kind of childlike glee on the eve of a tournament, I'm really feeling at the moment. So yeah, Euro 2022, the thing I love this week.
1: Sounds like an England win to me, mate. Done about those seven, just sounds like an England win. (laughs) Well, I think uh,
0: the favourite, Sam, that's uh, it's always a good sign, right? It's go always on, a good sign. Um, right. <laughs> that are all of the things that we love for this week. After the break, we're going to be bringing in Gianni to talk all things FPL. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC and I'm delighted to say we are joined by Mr Gianni Battice. Gianni, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. You are officially now an official FPL panellist these days, I believe they're called. Um, but welcome to Ranks FC and thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. So yeah, looking forward to yeah, bringing a bit of FPL to the, to the show for a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one we haven't done for a little while. We did it a couple of years ago, I think with Jules, actually. And it was, it was one of those that we looked at before the season. And it felt like the right time to start talking about this. All I've seen over my feed the last couple of days is the price drops, is the players starting to filter in. Um, and it's got everybody thinking, it's got everybody very excited. So you're going to give us some dilemmas here and ways in which to kind of overcome those
2: in order to beat your mates this season. Yeah, it's been very exciting the last few days as we've seen the prices announced and, and they've been teasing the the, the the clubs day by day. And they, FPL have been quite generous with pricing this year. So it allows us as, as managers to perhaps squeeze in a few extra premium players that, that, we, that we want, um, which I think is a great way of reaching the, the more casual audience to fill your team with your Liverpool, your Man City, your Chelsea assets. Uh, but yeah, three big dilemmas. And as always, there are hundreds of dilemmas every week for an engaged (laughs) FPL manager. But if we just go top line, we'll we'll go through three of the the dilemmas that you might face when planning your game week one team. And I'll give my opinion as to to what side of the fence I sit on. And, And if we go in at number three, do you go for premium at the back? So lots of expensive defenders. Or do you squeeze in that one extra premium forward in your team at the compromise of, of too many premium defenders? So it's, it's a big debate. Like, of course, we want those high ceiling players. And if you go bigger up top, we're thinking Haaland and Salah. And you can probably afford a Son or a Vardy or a Kane alongside these guys. Or do you just have Salah and maybe Haaland, but then you have a defence full of those attacking fullbacks? your Trents, your Robertsons, James, Chilwell, Perisic, Cancelo. There are so many now that just deliver year on year. And historically, us FPL managers always go 3-5-2, 3-4-3. Three, three. We, we don't want many defenders in our team because we think they're boring and they won't get goals and assists. <laughs> but the game's changed, right? Premier League has changed. The way, the, the way football is played has changed. And these fullbacks are at times wide forwards and they just get bags of goals and assists. So I'm looking at this season thinking, for the first time ever, I might go for four or even five premium defenders because their returns are just so, so good. But it does mean I can't have three premiums up top. So probably just settle on a Salah and a Haaland and it means no Son. But I will go big at the back instead. So it's an interesting dilemma and many will think they'll go big at the back and then as the weeks get draw closer, you just want to fit that one extra big name forward in. But for me, I'm looking at it and thinking the value in these defenders is just too good this season. We have the Chelsea wingbacks at 6.0. We have Trent at 7.5. He should be 9 million of anyone's money. They're just a four. Perisic came in at 5.5. The equivalent in midfield is is like a a lower table team's DM at the same price, who's just not going to get any points. So for me, it looks really sensible to go big at the back this season. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is the thing we saw last year, right? There was the players, you know, the, your Trents and your, your Robertsons who have been doing this for ages, but a lot of fullbacks picking up lots of points. And and I suppose the kind of kicker here is what, what exactly counts as a, a premium position? Because, you know, you look at someone like James Justin, right? For, for from Leicester, who obviously had big injury problems last year and, and didn't play for, for a lot of this campaign, but is going to be that that player going forward, and and, and will start to offer that. And you know, who knows what Brendan's going to play throughout the start of this season. But if they do go with wing backs again, you know, how does that kind of fit in here? How does it does, is an Ivan Perisic a defender? Do we know that yet? Is how how yeah. do those kind of things fit into this strategy?
2: Yeah, it's a, a great point. And Perisic has been announced as as a defender, which was really really excited about because many would say, you know, he's he's always been a midfielder, and the, only the last few seasons we've seen him playing wing back. Denzel Dumfries would be listed as a defender, so surely Perisic has to be. So we weren't too sure, but but yeah, he came in as a five point five defender. So Perisic is is, is going to be a really popular pick. And in the 4.5 bracket, you're right. We have the likes of James Justin. We we have the likes of Lewis Dunk, who, yeah, he's a centre-back, but gets on the end of so many set pieces, a real goal threat and a great upside as an FPL pick. So there are very good 4.5 options, but there's better 5.5 and 6 million options. And it's not that much difference to just find that extra million, find that extra 1.5, which if you're doing a midfielder up front, it's tricky to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. And I mean, I mean, I suppose that kind of comes onto that question. You kind of sort of started on it there about Lewis Dunk, but what is the trade-off for for centre-back? If it is a centre-back and, you know, obviously we saw Van Dijk, Matip, Laporte, Rudiger pick up a lot of points last year, Mm -hmm. right? You know, 150 plus. Um, And they are all traditional centre-backs. If you are going for a centre-back, does it have to be someone who is in a team who aren't going to concede loads because you know the upsides are going to be lower in terms of out- attacking output?
2: Yeah, it, it, you look at centre-backs and for me, I look at their ceiling. Arsenal was a great example. Ben White, for me, his ceiling most weeks is going to be six points. Best case scenario, I'll get my clean sheet points at four, my appearance points at two. Yet Gabriel is five million. With Gabriel, I know I've got Potential for bonus points, because the, the bonus points system is very detailed. There's 38 metrics, things like clearances, interceptions, blocks. Gabriel performs really well in the BPS and therefore gets rewarded. Um, and likewise, he gets on the end of set pieces, so he's got that goal threat. So you spend an extra point, f- point 0.5 for Gabriel, but it's way worth the difference because you get the upside. His ceiling isn't six, his ceiling is 10 or 12 each week. i got a question on Trent. You talked about him being
1: seven and a half, was it? Yeah. And yeah. you thinking that he should be more like nine.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He must, so seven and a half must be the most, most expensive a defender has ever been. 8.0 years back, we saw Leighton Baines and John Terry hit 8 million. Now, Whoa. they weren't anywhere near as consistent as, as Trent's been the last couple of seasons, who just every season seems to get 200 points. To put that into perspective, last year, the best performing forward, who was 12.5 million, Harry Kane, didn't reach 200 points. Yet Trent at 7.5 does. So yeah, the value there is insane.
0: In terms of you know the, the forwards, and I think a lot of people had this problem last year. I mean, I know I did. It felt like you know the likes of Salah and Son being midfielders shifted things around. In terms of there wasn't many out and out forwards in the Premier League. In in the you know number nines were traditionally counted as as the players who would stay as a forward, and and, and wingers tended to be classed as midfielders. Is that going to shift this year? Because there was there was a lot of talk about it.
2: Yeah many of us thought we'd see Salah and Son relisted, reclassified and we 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 haven't seen that. They they remain midfielders. We have seen the likes of Jota, the likes of Havertz move from midfield to forward and and I think FPL have have looked at it and gone, okay, who's occupying that central number 9 or false nine spot in the team. And even though it might be Son or Salah that are more advanced than that number nine, they've remained midfielders, but the out-and-out nine has has, has shifted. So Jota and Havertz have been reclassified. And that, that does take the appeal away from the likes of Jota or Havertz because, of course, you don't get the clean sheet point if you're a forward and you, don't, you get one fewer points for scoring a goal. Uh, you, it's four versus five. So, yeah, sure, we might get them a little bit higher up the pitch. Havertz is a forward. Jotter is a forward uh, or certainly should be next season. But we prefer them when they're out of position in FPL. And then, then you, you benefit from that out of, out of position category. It's quite a weird one because I, like a lot of people struggled, I think, to fill
0: those three spots. Yeah. It was like, you know, who, who are we bringing in? There isn't enough um, players in those, in those positions. So I suppose a little bit more depth to choose from. And obviously the likes of Haaland coming in, the likes of Darwin coming in are almost certainly going to be put into those, into those
1: kind of forward roles. But it does yeah. mean that there's a little bit broader of a pool to choose from. Also, like Bamford coming back to fitness might might be a bit of a saving grace here as well. Like in a very very limited pool last season, you also lost a couple of players, like Bamford, to basically the whole season. There was just yeah. nothing, absolutely nothing. I saw people, you know, some of the some of the, the content creators I was watching, they've you know, got ended up with like Ollie Watkins and Joe Gelhart in their team at the end. I was like, well, that's not that was never
2: the plan, was it? <laughs> that was things me. Have gone, that was things me. Have gone <laughs> Ah, sorry, my bad. That was that's that means it's gone really wrong up front. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And last season, for the first time in a, in a long while, we didn't see value. So when you compare some of these players, even even if we look, look ahead, Bamford at 7.5 this season, Dominic Calvert-Lewin at 8 million. These guys we know, yeah, sure, they can clock up points. But when you look at the defenders in the same price band, you can spend... Seven point five on a on a Trent, less on a Cancelo, less on a Reese James or a Chilwell. The value you get from these defenders is 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 so much better than than the forwards. That these forwards aren't going to have two hundred point seasons. Very unlikely. Yet you know, with Cancelo got two hundred and one points last season. Trent, as I said, beat two hundred. Robertson one hundred eighty six. The value in the defense is just so generous that I am thinking this season for the first time ever, I'll be I'll be setting up with four or five premiums at the back. Yeah, and you know playing a five at the back formation. Yeah. yeah
1: janny you seem pretty set on this uh, or very set on this how confident are the others in the community at, at this early stage in doing this and does does this feel like a bit of a risk from your part
2: are you are you the black sheep here or uh, or is this a, a pretty common thread yeah it seems about 50 50 at the moment i think i i think as as the weeks draw closer more will will look at a gabriel jesus announcement and go oh he's 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 really well-owned and... They're going to what you're saying. <laughs> I think so. Because it, it's a bold call. As soon as it you go bold, five yeah. at the back, you don't have that flexibility to jump on an attacking bandwagon after three game weeks, whose Darwin's scored loads of goals and is actually starting straight away for Liverpool. Well, how do you get a nine million Darwin into your team when you've got all that money at the back? You need two or three transfers, that's hit, that's potential wildcard territory. So it's quite a rigid formation to invest money at the back because you can't just make that one simple move to move funds around, you need two or three moves. So it's a bold call, but I can't help but see that value. And I don't see them as defenders. Perisic isn't a defender Uh, Chelsea, we caveat them their wing backs with the fact that Tuchel perhaps is looking at a back four. Preseason will tell us more. The appeal might lesser for the Chelsea lads, but even in a back four, you expect the fullbacks to still be sky high. So, yeah, one to monitor pre-season, but I think I'm pretty set.
0: Yeah. I, I also, it's one of those, isn't it? When the excitement gets hold of you and you're like, oh, I could have all these shiny new forwards into the team. Everyone's going to get very excited and move away from the strategy. But I do actually agree with you on paper. That's not to say that when I see Darwin and, and Jesus in that first thing, I go like, whey, off yeah. we go again. Um, but alas, in, in terms of actual on paper, I'm completely with you. Uh, let's move on to number two, shall we, Jenny?
2: Yeah, number two is all about Man City. the The team in the league that score the most goals, that have the highest ceiling in terms of the, the the number of points their players can get. At any given week, you're not surprised if Man City win 5-6-0. You can't say that for any other team really in the Premier League, Liverpool possibly. But for some reason, we don't really invest in Man City assets. Historically, if I look back to last season, Cancelo was in most teams, my, mine included. But you know, Foden at times, KDB at times. But we don't fill our teams with Man City. Why? Well, we're often scared of Pep Roulette as it's dubbed in the FPL community. Which wide forwards are going to start? Now this season, we might just be able to, one, see some bargains in their wide forwards because of the price points. We look at Grealish, who's seven, Mares, who's eight, Foden, who's eight. Knowing that they're wide forwards in the team that score the most amount of goals in the league, that's very favourable pricing. But the fear has always been minutes. How many starts are they going to get? Are they going to start two in three or one in two? Now, knowing Gabriel Jesus has moved on, knowing Sterling could move on, possibly we see a little bit more space for, say, Mares on the right to have less competition and therefore start more games. Now, when Mares plays, Mares picks up FPL points, but we're always just worried about Pep Roulette. Now, because of Haaland coming into the team, possibly those that are creators in the team, your Grealish's, your Foden's, your possibly, obviously KDB, um, Possibly they're going to have someone always getting on the end of these crosses, on the end of these assists, and 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 that'll be. That, we could see great guns there. The fixtures for Man City are so good. The big question you've got in your team, yes, you might have Cancel and Harland. Do you complement that with one of those other wide forwards that I mentioned, or do you go safer for your Mason Mounts, your Sackers, your Bowens, who you know are guaranteed to start pretty much every game when fit. So. Really, obviously, if you've
1: managed to convince yourself that Pep Roulette is less of a problem this season or could be less of an issue,
0: well, currently it is because there is less players. But yeah, that's not cur- yeah' currently the that's,
1: that's the way it is. Then you start start to mold the question around as you've kind of intimated there, Jenny. Who can who can benefit the most from Erling Haaland? So Erling yeah. Haaland himself obviously becomes a factor in 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 the team. But which players around him does he does he kind of lift their level for? So my personal opinion here is that someone like Jack Grealish is going to really benefit from Erling Haaland. I just think he's going to crash into the box and be double marked and cause such carnage. I think he's going to open these little pockets on the edge of the box that Grealish didn't really benefit from last season because it was so crowded. And just, just an extra yard, just an extra couple of yards is all he probably needs. And with that first season under his belt, under Guardiola, I do look at someone like Grealish here and I just think, not only are you taking possibly a second year leap, and it's 7 million as well, yeah. but Erling Haaland is going to create such a distraction for you that this actually could mean, mean quite a lot for you in terms of your production. And we might see something a bit closer to what he was at, at Villa in the last season. So Greenish to me is, is someone
2: that's really interesting there because of Haaland, if anything else. Yeah. And so affordable, seven, seven million, you know, you, I think Wilfred Zaha is seven million. I think it is. So, you know, when you compare in how many goals Palace will score, how many Man City will score, it, it, it's just absolute levels of, uh, above. And I look at Grealish and think he's, he's now had a year under Pep. And we see this a lot with Pep players. It takes a little bit of time to get into yeah. that system. And last year, his numbers were disappointing from an FPL point of view. He got a lot of starts. Um, but I think it was three goals, three assists, which is so so poor for someone who, of Grealish's potential. Um, however, with the second season, and that's why he saw a price decrease. I think he started the season at seven point five last year, seven this year. But I'm I'm with you, Sam. I think he'll get a little bit more space because of Harland Harland getting on the end of a lot of those assists, and and the second season could be huge for Jack Grealish, who could own that 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 left of the three space. The big the big question mark for me is where where Foden fits into the system. We know Pep wants to play Foden a lot in these big games and and he starts more often than not but where will Foden play last year he played a lot central as the as as the nine he is very comfortable in the Grealish role on the left but likewise if we if we rewind about 18 months the end of I think it was the 2021 campaign Foden occupied a lot of the space on the right of the front three and was was very good on the right-hand side we didn't see him there last year but knowing Jesus played that role quite a bit last year, and Sterling can, it might be Foden or Mares on on the, the right hand side. And unfortunately, with Mares, what we won't probably have is the penalty appeal. Uh, Mares has been on pens went on the pitch. We've seen Jesus, we've seen Sterling, we've seen KDB all take pens for Man City, and they've all got pretty poor records. Surely Holland's going to be on pens, and, and therefore uh, it takes a few points away from those those wide. Wide forwards,
0: yeah. Dean did a, a whole thing on this as why you have to have Holland, and and I imagine you know is he the
2: most expensive
0: player ever to come into the game? Did I saw this on your Twitter? Yeah. Did, did we decide there was anyone ever ever more expensive? What is he? Eleven point
2: five. Eleven point five. I mean, obviously when Ronaldo came back and Lukaku, but they weren't new players to the game. I think maybe we saw a, a, a Zlatan come in high, a similar price point. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Holland. There's never been anyone more expensive than eleven point five hit the game. And surely the recipe is there for him to just go absolutely nuts. I mean, the fixtures are nice as well. We just need to see him in pre-season just, just to check on, on on how he's slotted in. Um, but no World Cup either. Yes. We've got to consider that for FPL. They're like Samares, Salah, Holland, No World Cup. They'll get a nice little rest and not have the distraction either. Just, yeah, on the, that, just on the City thing and the midfielders, just
1: just a little note that Rodri scored seven goals last oh year in God. the Premier League and he grabbed two assists. And I used to remember Fernandinho getting these little assists as well, where he'd pass the ball to someone 30 yards out, three yard pass, and they'd whack it into the top the, corner. The Tom Carroll assist, I believe, that's officially it's, known. It's the Tom Carroll assist. Fernandinho got a lot of those. Rodri with seven and two last year. Is that like, is that repeatable? I mean, I'm kind of tempted to say he might get another five and he must be cheap and he must
2: often get three as like a floor. Yeah, yeah. The clean sheet is often locked in. So three is the floor. He doesn't do badly in the bonus point system either. All of his recoveries, interceptions. um, But he's got a score to get in the bonus. And I think last season was probably just a bit of a freak. A lot of those goals were... Hitting hope isn't fair. Very on, good yeah, goals from the edges of the bush. But... he got a shot on him, man. He's got a strike. He really has, is not he? And, <laughs> and, a, and a bit of a. He's good on the bouncing ball as well with the half volleys. Um, yeah. he hit, he's got a few so headers and set pieces as well, I
1: think. He's just kind of like in and amongst it, despite the fact it's definitely not his like brief at Job, all. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's harder to predict, isn't it? When you're relying on a player to score worldies from outside of the box, it's yeah. much harder to predict, unless you're backing a James Ward Prowse, who, who, you know, James Ward Prowse free kick seems like it feels like a penalty these days, but other than him, sure. Harder to predict. That's, I mean, yeah. that's why I'm, I'm citing the sort of like the kind of relatively high floor with the three points rather than the two.
1: And I'm just like, like, is he cheap enough to be like, well, he's my fifth player.
2: Yeah. I, I personally never pick DMs unless they're on penalties. I rarely go there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, for me, probably not. And it also occupies that, that slot. Remember, you can only have three man city and you have three, three Liverpool. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it, it you're less flexible if Rodri is there and let's say Foden has this amazing spell you need to get him in your team well you've not only got to get Foden but you've got to sell Rodri tricky at different price two, points yeah two transfers
1: well I look forward to Rodri's 20 goal season Jenny yeah <laughs> yeah. Save, <laughs> save this comment yeah exactly
0: we'll clip that one up for, for when Rodri's on 120 after that at the halfway
2: mark and see where, see where we've got to um, which takes us nicely onto number one Jenny yeah, number one is about captaincy and and look, captaincy makes or breaks your season. Some FPL managers love it, usually those that, that have benefited from a good season of captaincy, and some really dislike it because if you get captaincy wrong, you slide down your mini leagues. And and for me last season, I I had a good season. I finished at sixteen thousand overall in in the world. My target was top ten K. I was a little bit short of that if I'd nailed captaincy and even had an average captaincy rank amongst the top 10k, I'd have finished at three, 4k, but I had a poor season with captaincy and it I drifted out to the teens. So you've got to get that right. And one of my mistakes last season was I was a little bit rogue with captaincy. I didn't always back the, the obvious. And 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 that's what number one is about here. We're discussing, should you go safe with captaincy or do you think a little bit outside the box? And And in summary, I think you probably do a little bit of both, but I think you have to start the season fairly safe. And, and the reason being is if if you're captaining the guys that are really highly owned and they perform, great, everyone rises with you. But if they don't perform, you don't see a you don't see a big red arrow because everyone is in the same boat. And there's this thing we refer to a lot in the community called effective ownership. And it's a little bit geeky. Um, but I'll, I'll explain it for those that, that aren't aware. When a Hit, hit me with po- a deep dive. It really is, right. Okay, so when a player's percentage ownership is over 100, if you haven't captained them and they produce points, you actually have a negative rank loss. So let's give an example here. Mo Salah, 50%, let's go 75% of the game own Mo Salah in game week one. Everyone wants Mo Salah in the team. Three in every four teams have him. And then half of them decide to give him the armband, right? So effective ownership, you're adding the ownership plus the captaincy ownership. And if it breaks the 100% barrier, you're into a negative loss if you haven't captained them. So hear me out. So salary is 75% owned, 50% of those owners decide to give him the armband. So we have to add on an additional 37.5%, right? So his effective ownership is 112.5%, right? Yeah. So if you captain him, Great, you get your double points. If you don't captain him, but you own him, for every point he scores, you actually get a negative because he's over 100%. Yeah, okay,
0: so you're, that makes sense.
2: you're cheering one at you. You own this guy, he scores a hat trick, and you're actually annoyed. You are not <laughs> celebrating his points. How crazy is that? So you have to captain him to celebrate his points. Now, the repercussions of going against Salah when he's 112.5% owned is if you decide to, to, to completely ignore captaincy and your captain blanks, often the case if you go against Salah, he can sting you, then you just have the biggest red arrow. You fall millions in overall rank, you slide down your mini leagues. So it's very, very rare players uh, over 100% other than Salah. So Salah's the only one to really be worried about. We might see it with Haaland because they've got to have super high ownership in the first place. Now someone like Trent will have super high ownership, but no one's captain in Trent. So he never breaches that 100% mark. So what I'm saying here is, with captaincy early on in the season, play safe with the likes of Salah if you think four out of the eight million managers in the world are going to captain him, because you don't want to fall behind too early. Now, of course, that's a little bit cautious. It's very Diego Simeone, very Jose Mourinho to (laughs) to kind of go really cautious for the first few weeks. Um, But if you go rogue in the first few weeks and it doesn't work out, so many FPL managers give up. By September and October, they throw their toys out the pram and the season's done for them. Now, this is a game that should be running for nine, 10 months. You want to be still in the mix in May in your mini leagues. If you've given up in September because you've gone against Mo Salah in the first few weeks, it's just such a shame to to ruin the game for, for yourself. So for me, play safe for the first few weeks. And then, of course, there's opportunity to go against De Grain. And there's great captaincy options when you look at Son or Vardy. Like Leicester are a team we should probably be identifying this year. And Vardy is a player that will have lots of rests. You know, no midweek football for Vardy. Um, he'll become a really nice captaincy option if you want to go rogue come October but wait for the first few weeks and just play safe there's a reason why the vast majority of the game are in Salah now obviously if you think he's not going to get the most points in any given week you've got to back your guy whoever that is but more often than not if the masses are going there there's a reason for it
0: Is this something that maybe we'll see a little bit of a drop this year purely because Erling Haaland comes into the game? I I mean, Mm I feel like obviously Son towards the end of last season felt like a viable alternative. But for long periods of, you know, even the last couple of years, let's say, Mo Salah has felt like the only option, right? He's he's won, what, the golden boot in three of the last four years in the Premier League? We're we're looking at someone who's, you know, who has performed consistently week in, week out for a long, long period of time. So... At that point, it's kind of everybody is is building Salah and everybody is captaining in because it's just not worth it not to, as you say, it's the whole point. Halland coming in, does that split that a little bit? And therefore, does it suggest that maybe that effective ownership won't get over the 100 quite as much because there's more people sharing the load? to quote Samwise Gamgee?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, last season, I think we probably saw Salah hit that over 100%, probably 50% of the time, probably like 19 of the 38 game weeks. We might only see it five or six, you're right, because the likes of Holland will occupy a lot of that ownership. And, you know, game week two, for example, Holland plays Bournemouth at the Etihad. I think he's going to have a lot of people given the armband, especially if he scores in game week one against West Ham or if he looks good pre season. So I hope for the sake of the game, we don't get players hitting over 100% because it makes it a little bit boring. You don't want to just go with the, the the masses just out of fear. We shouldn't manage our teams out of fear. But at times we do in the first few weeks for the reasons mentioned. So yeah, I hope Haaland and Son, Son last season went to a whole new level, didn't he? Shared the golden boot with Salah. Under Conte, Son and Kane look better than ever. Son is still classified as a midfielder and I think the points will fly in there too. A lot of our armbands will go on Son. So a nice spread, I hope. So, kind of indirectly here, we've sort of sussed out your
1: formula for the opening couple of weeks here, Gianni. You're going to go big at the back with the premium defenders. It sounds like you're going to restrict yourself to the two premium attackers rather than the three. And it seems like with the fixtures, those two premium attackers are going to be Salah, who's captained week one, and Haaland,
2: who gets the armband in week two. Yeah, I think so. And it, it, it... it's disappointing that I can't get Son. I don't think I can. I can get him in at some point. I'm sure some will come into the team. And and the other team I I'm gutted not to have an attacker for is 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 possibly and, and maybe I go to to Madison at eight or Barnes at seven. But is is Leicester? I would love Vardy yeah. at nine point five in my team. And for the we, we discussed earlier, you know Leicester not having European football, we saw the benefits that that gave the Arsenal team last year. Who We're so close to getting fourth no midweek football no European away days Leicester will benefit from that this year with their smaller squad and Vardy when he's fresh is so good last season he got 5.9 points per every Premier League start better than any other forward he's so good in this game um he doesn't need many chances to get points to get goals he's on pens um so at the moment I'm thinking I'll probably go against Vardy and Son because I'll I'll want to go big at the back but um I'll cover probably Leicester and I think I'll cover Spurs with Perisic. We haven't discussed him, but my only fear with Perisic is Conte's rotating of fullbacks during games. We saw it in inter. He makes a lot of substitutions with those fullbacks and sometimes before 60 minutes. Ugh. Now you need your defenders to get to 60 and <laughs> they don't get the clean sheet points. And I was looking yesterday at Conte early on. Uh, two years ago at Inter in the first five, six game weeks when Perisic was in his squad. He made a lot of subs at half-time. He made a lot of subs at 55 with his wing-backs. So I'm a little bit worried about Perisic and it might be one that I just monitor for the first few weeks and then buy. But we know in front of goal, his expected assists his expected goals always super high he finishes at times like a forward yeah. and he's listed as a defender he could be gold he could also just i mean i know, i know what you mean with the
1: conte uh, wing back rotations and him just he just he's obviously a very physically demanding position so he just tries to keep everyone as fresh as possible try and go yeah. ideally it's like 70 20 right on 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 the split between the two players perisic is like super freak fit <laughs> like he is a he's like built in a lab So he might be slightly more protected there, at least past the sixty mark. He might be all right. Um, There is that. There
0: is the option, though, that Conte loves Cessignon, and I'm not just saying that because I love Cessignon, like which is fair. But like Conte has really taken to Ryan Cessignon to the point where you know really dropped out of the side, Um, and and to continue to give him minutes, he I think he will look to do that just in order that you know Perisic is obviously not going to be the long term option for Spurs. Now whether Conte's there or not is a different question, but. You know, it does feel like he's like, okay, you are going to be the wing back. You're just not the wing back I need right now, this second. Um, And that does make it interesting in terms of that rotation out there. And I think you're absolutely spot on. Yeah,
2: making the most of injuries as well. Let's say Perisic picks up an injury or he's a three game ban or whatever. Someone like Zessignon, he's a 4.5 defender this season. Like when he is playing, he will be absolute gold dust because he'll perform like like a, a... like a premium and he's so far up the pitch as we saw at the end of last season he can get on the end of crosses and supply them so the Spurs fullbacks a bit like the Chelsea fullbacks if if Tuchel remains with the, the the back three definitely ones to target
0: yeah I mean I, I like I like the Leicester shout a lot just to come just to come back to that yeah. and I think you're absolutely spot on is there any more kind of low-key tips you're you're looking at I'm don't, I'm just trying to squeeze all of
1: your all of your gold dust out just, of you Jared, just on the Leicester thing as well by the way you mentioned Barnes was seven yeah, that's, that's that's good. Value. That's enticing. Ricardo yeah. Pereira, has anyone backing him for a bounce back season?
2: Because I kinda yeah. am. Four point five, he's been listed as because he was he was in and out of the team last year with injuries. But the year before that, I think he was priced super high because we know what he can do. Um, yeah, the Leicester fullbacks are really intriguing. Firstly, is it is Brendan Rogers gonna play a back four or back five? And then you look at Castagna, who's been a good asset. Um, Thomas was in the team a lot last year at left back. But yeah, for me, Justin and Pereira should be the standouts, and and both four point five. So yeah, ones to definitely monitor. Justin obviously can play in a back three as well. It's worth considering if he is there. He's not a great asset, but if he's at wing back, we like him. Ricardo yeah. could also play on the wing because he spent yeah. half a season on left wing randomly one
1: time. Um, one thing to note, though, of course, if Leicester haven't worked on defending set pieces, they're not getting any clean sheets. So ever ever t- again, actually, literally <laughs> ever again. So let's make sure we check on that in pre season before we start getting too excited about <laughs> about. <laughs> Lesser defenders mid, no midweek or not if they can't defend corners they are not getting any points H- Harvey, yeah. Harvey
0: Barnes is my shout um, Chris Hamill on, on Twitter was tweeting about this the other day we were talking about Rafinha and he was saying non penalty goals and assists per ninety last season Rafinha had 0.31 Martinelli 0.53 Smith Rowe 0.56 Harvey Barnes 0.69 Ooh. it's really high really high now obviously it's a relatively small sample size because again he went up through a period where he wasn't playing but um, Harvey Barnes when he is on form is, is is one of those that I really really do like. Though, don't listen to me. I captained Kai Havertz at the start of last season so um, I'm uh, probably I, not the uh, Well, I'm going to be captaining
1: Rodri this season, yeah. so <laughs> don't worry about that. I do have a final question for you, uh Gianni. It's 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 actually revolving around something you've already talked about which is whether or not you're interested in kind of risking that kind of greenish Pep Roulette style thing as opposed to your kind of locked locked in Mason Mount. Um yeah. and we Take take that situation and add in the World Cup mm. and the absolute crunch of fixtures that is going to ensue in or like basically September and October, in which if you look at the calendar, you're
2: basically looking at. It looks like um, the championship.
0: That's what. That's the Premier League schedule looks like the championship schedule
1: for like this for that period of time? Yeah, every midweek
2: is occupied pretty much if you're a top
1: four team. Anyway, yeah, it's Europe. it's it's like back to it's like two like three sets of like back to back midweeks. After So five games in in basically 14 days, more or less. Premier League, Champions League, Premier League, Champions League, Premier League. And then in the middle, where there's a quote-unquote respite, Nations League. Oh, so yeah. there actually is no rest. I mean, there's barely any midweeks at all. So with that in mind, with and the fact that fantasy often does feel like a bit of a lottery. This feels like lottery on steroids. And is it worth just degenning and rolling your, rolling your sleeves up and being like, you know what? No one's safe this year. I'm absolutely getting on that Pep Roulette risk because even Mason Mount isn't locked in because your starters, your locked-in players, they're so they're so tired. Everyone is knackered. Everyone yeah. will be rotated, surely.
2: Yeah, the, those with the biggest squad should win and the managers that aren't scared to use their squad. And we know some managers are a, a little bit more gung-ho with rotation than others, but Man City, I think, for the first four fixtures because they're so good and because that's before the fixture congestion hits I think I'll probably invest and then should we see lots of rotation because of midweek fixtures and Champions League then maybe you try and go to a safer bet for a team not playing in Europe for example you could easily go from a Grealish to a Barnes or you could same price or a Foden to a, a Madison both 8 million so I think I will I will identify a third man City asset I'm not sure if it will be Maris Grealish or Foden yeah, Rodry, yeah. <laughs> don't think I'll be going Rodri um, <laughs> but but preseason pre-season scouting is everything for, for game week one. And you see those players that just seem to have stepped it up a little bit. Uh, and, and you probably try and go there. You're looking at, at all the quotes coming out of press conferences, pictures from training, all sorts. Any little gain, any injuries to some players that mean others are more likely to start. The, the scouting come game week one is, is really important for that third asset. But for me, it's quite simple. It's the team that score the most amount of goals with brilliant fixtures Who are like odds on favourites to win the Premier League again. I I think we want to be stocking up on on their assets. So for me, I think I'll be looking at that that third spot. But that price point's a really interesting one in midfield. Cover that eight million-ish price point so you can easily move on other players because the likes of Luis Diaz, Kulaszewski, Saka bowen mount they're all around eight million i think bowen's 8.5 but the others are eight so again if, if they're not performing it's one simple transfer don't really want to be taking hits to move out guys that could go and deliver at the weekend
0: yeah well, I think that's a fair, a fair point. One last one for me, and it, it's basically around the fact that obviously the game begins a month before the transfer window shuts, yeah. right? In the you know players are coming in and out for for another month. How often or how often have you, I suppose, rather than will you? Because that's a it's a it's a fool's game to predict. Have you made those kind of changes to bring someone in who's come in late in the window? It, you know, there's a, a signing that comes in late for, let's say, a Chelsea on you know on deadline day or three days before deadline day. That's a is, is a risky move, obviously, to bring in a new signing straight away, especially if they haven't been set at the start of the game. Um, and then to kind of try and weasel them into the squad is is a tricky kind of concept, I think. And I've I've struggled with that in the past.
2: Yeah, and we see a lot of wildcards uh, when the when the window closes, come game week four or five. That's when we see a lot of wildcard because there's all these shiny new toys to 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 put in your team. The the benefit can be of 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 some of those transfers is is FPL don't get the pricing right because let's take. Rafinha, for an example, let's say he's been priced as a Leeds player and he moves to Chelsea. Well, hello, you've got yourself a, a Chelsea wide forward for six million or whatever. Now, when they did the Leeds price reveal in the last couple of days, they they purposely didn't put Rafinha's price out there to give themselves a little bit more time. Likewise, Gabriel Jesus, when they did the Arsenal reveal, they, 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 or the Man City reveal, they held back and obviously as an Arsenal player... Probably gonna be a similar price point, but you can sometimes benefit from 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 incorrect pricing if you like, or even incorrect positioning sometimes. So definitely one to to monitor. And if you can roll your transfers in the first couple of weeks, so by the time the window closes, you've got two free transfers in the bank. That sometimes forces you to then not have to wild card because maybe you make three moves and you only take a four-point hit, for example. You mentioned Virginia so, yeah, there as, uh,
1: as, as the leads to Chelsea thing. When you, when you mentioned his name, I was actually thinking of when he first joined the Premier League from Red. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was like wildly underpriced because the the pro- he was. FPL didn't know how good he was. Um, yeah. I, got, I got him in extremely early doors. He played one pass against Aston Villa and I was like, he's in my team. He yeah, came off the bench for like eight minutes, played one pass. I was like, you are mine. And uh, yeah. he was absolute gold. So it's it's also a case of knowledge can trump the game sometimes. And yeah. of course, you're gambling on them, settling quickly and all things going right.
2: But if you know the player's good, go and get him. Yeah, knowledge so important with the newly promoted teams as well. Often you, you question how much FPL has researched some of those newly promoted teams a couple of seasons ago. Lundstrom at Sheffield United. They'd just been promoted. He was listed as a 4.0 defender. Yeah. And there'll be FPL managers listening, knowing exactly what I'm talking about here. Well, everyone you everyone him by end, didn't <laughs> Everyone had him by the end. But if you had him game week one to game week three, four, you were the real winner because he performed well in those early weeks when not many had him other than the really engaged managers. So pre-season, we saw Lundström was playing as a number eight, box to box, and he was listed as a 4.0 defender, absolute gold dust. Um, and he was in all of our game week one teams because on Twitter, we were all talking about him. But if you weren't there and didn't see that, you you're you you behind the curve. You, you, you kind of missed out early on.
0: So it's a very important to at this point to say that Sam and I do a, a notebook uh, on a Thursday uh, during pre season. Our, our spotlight episode becomes a notebook. We basically just make notes on pre season. So if you are an FPL manager, come over and join us on our on our Patreon
1: for, for us of extra actually, content. on As the an notebook. example, actually, if you'd have listened last year, you'd have known that Trevor Chalobah would have been a really good pick up week one. He scored, yep. didn't he? <laughs> yeah, long ranger wasn't. About well, fifteen <laughs> points. And we talked about that and him settling into the into the preseason rotation. So case in point. And there you go. Yeah. Just a little plug, just randomly in the middle of it. So thank you, Jenny, for the for the
0: tee up there. Just had to smash the serve home. Um, <laughs> yeah. And on that, I think probably, and
2: unless you have any more gold dust tips, Jenny, uh, we will call it there. There's there's one quick one because you asked about any sort of hidden nuggets. Yeah. Uh, Wolves are an interesting one for good fixtures. They're right at the top of the fixture difficulty rating. I think they start the season with Leeds, then Fulham. They play Spurs, tough. but then <laughs> but then Newcastle. So they got they got a couple of seen you know Fulham at Molineux and Newcastle. Molyneux in the first four. Winnable games for sure. Pedro Neto, who I personally am a big fan of, I think you guys are too, yep. potentially Wolves' best player. He's gone down in price because of his injuries. Um, last, He's a 5.5 midfielder. Ooh, I think there could be real value in Pedro Neto. So I think he's going to be in my game week one team and I expect his ownership to be like 1%. So again, you could see some, some big gains. If if Neto is fit, he scored in pre-season the other day, they won 4-1. Traore also scored. Um, but yeah, Neto is definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I like him
0: a lot. Uh, one of my, my favourite players um, to watch and, and very much a, an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, well, Jani, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I suppose the, the natural thing to do is to ask you where everybody can find you on, on social and elsewhere.
2: Yeah, at Janny Baticci on, on Twitter and Instagram. I give a lot of FPL tips on, on my Twitter channel. So do, do come and check me out there. Likewise, I do a, a, a show with with Dean, who's also an FPL enthusiast. Um, so check us out on Chasing Green Arrows. Uh, Dean and I talk in transfers, but also FPL on Mondays and Fridays.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jan. It's been a real, real pleasure having you on and uh, good luck for the season.
2: Thank you, mate. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to listening to the show as the the season develops. Welcome back to Ranks
0: FC. And thank you so much to Gianni for all his insight there. Make sure you are following him on all of those socials for all your FPL needs throughout the season. And as we build up and as more players and signings get dropped, I'm sure he's going to have all sorts to say about the new boys joining the league as well. Um, But Sam, uh, it's time to... Move over to everybody's favorite mm-hmm. part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week and the last Melon of the Week without Dean. Um, so he's going to be back on Melon Duties next week. Thank you for putting up with us in his absence. Um, I'm going to take this for the last time and I'd like to award this week's Melon of the Week to FC Barcelona's content team. Mm-hmm. Um, now Barcelona have announced the signings of Frank Kessier good signing and Andreas Christensen also a good signing but slightly less of a good signing um, and we kind of we're looking at the way that they announced Christensen and obviously for the Kessier announcement they were able to use this clip of Kessier basically tearing Barcelona apart because they've obviously only got the rights to use games against Barcelona for their social media feeds um, but in a preseason friendly in America I think it is and Kessier looks absolutely unbelievable he's one around beating defenders at will winning the ball back it's a really cool little montage for the Christensen one they went a bit off beast. they basically they they used the tagline you shall not pass dot 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 but he can pass (laughs) he did to put together a two and a half minute montage of Christensen basically not defending very well, like squashing Luis Suarez at, at times, um, like basically last-ditch defending, hoofing the ball out of play, and then occasionally doing like relatively simple 10-yard passes out to the wing. Um, in a game, in two games in the Champions League, one of which I'm pretty sure Basso won 4-1. I think it's three ones, games,
1: actually. They had a lot of footage to pick from and he didn't do anything good in any of them.
0: I'm pretty sure they lost all <laughs> of the games, um, which isn't great indicative of, of, of signing a defender. Um, in the passing montages he shows there's like two good passes out of the 20 they show maybe like, and one of those revolves around the fact that the wing has done absolutely brilliantly to keep it in play because it's a little bit overhit. Um there is, good, there is a good there is a good bit though on. he
1: does tackle Messi in the box cleanly at one point that is he true really just run that for five minutes
0: just use that yeah. clip, man. Just use that clip. That's fine. If he could stop the great one, he's good enough yeah. for us. Um, that would have been fine. But what a bizarre compilation of of, of things to choose. It really was uh, a lot. Um, and, and ultimately, just one of those really strange ones where... You know, you're looking at this and thinking, "How is how is this panning out?" I, I'm not really sure. So, yeah, Men of the week goes to Barcelona's content team. They've really not them- done themselves or their new signing any justice whatsoever uh, with that signing. And with that. Ar- Welcome back. I'm still capable of doing it again this week. (laughs) And we had quite a lot of comments last week on your uh, gibberish siren, Sam, and I did want to
1: use it again, but um, you've refused outright. So so I'm going to hand over to you for the gibberish. It's embarrassing, mate. Embarrassing. I'm glad you're back on it. Right. Gibberish this week is life's simplest pleasures, a top three. I've been constructing this in my mind for about six months. I've really come really come to believe in this list. And uh, this weekend, I think we found number three. We completed the list. Now, number three is a hole in one, a momentous feat that I recently achieved at Pirate Mini Golf in the Smuggler's Cove. 16th hole, a challenging gauntlet of contours and rocks I like the fact you played 18 holes of mini golf. That's you could large. actually play 36 if you wanted to, but I got a bit bored after 18. But um, yeah, it's a challenging course. So you know what? Just, just on the 16th hole, I just, I just found I found the vision. I found the groove. Stroke with precision, hole in one. Very, very satisfying noise as well. And honestly, mate, I was on cloud nine for the rest of the day. It just made absolutely everything yeah, you should be too. better. My celebratory burrito, I think, tasted better than usual. The drive home, like every light was just green, green, green. I honestly think maybe even the sun was shining just a bit brighter than it probably would have done. Maybe,
0: mate, I'll be honest, even just the idea of just hitting one and writing the one on the scorecard is just a dream, isn't it? That's, that's what you're actually looking for here. It's, it's not necessarily to do with, you know, how good or bad it is. It's just writing that one on the scorecard. Just 100%,
1: and I beat my wife by like eight. So that was also quite cool. Anyway, number two, the sound of running water. The most relaxing sound in all of the world. It is enticing. It is calming. It's really simple. It's really, really good. The sound of running water can make literally any room or any space in the world, no matter where it is, an area of true relaxation. Unless you need a wee. Unless you need a wee. But then just go to the toilet and come back and it's fine. This sound is so relaxing, it managed to coax me to sleep on the floor of an airport using my bag as a pillow, something I genuinely thought truly impossible. That is how effective and soothing and calming the sound of running water is. I tend to use albums for this, man. I'll be honest. Um,
0: Enya is my go-to. Stick on Enya watermark. I can fall asleep anywhere. Um, but that is, you know, that's just by the bias. Of
1: fair it. enough. Fair enough. I love, I love the sound of running water as long as you've been to the toilet. And number one in life's simplest pleasures is freshly baked warm bread. Yeah, <sighs> agreed. <laughs> what an experience. Just everything about it, really. The smell, the warmth, the fresh crunch, the soft middle. Oh, I'm actually quite hungry now thinking about it. And this is something that the Thai households through the years have enjoyed an awful lot because my dad used to bake fresh bread from scratch. I genuinely thought you were talking
0: about like people from Thailand. I was like, "What do you mean, like, as in, and opposed to anyone what, else, just like Thai households what pe- in particular?" What my
1: people. Um, well, yeah, 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 my yeah. dad. My, my, da- my dad used to um, used to bake fresh breads um, pretty often, and it used to be amazing to be For honestly, like, it used to uh, waft through the house, and when my friends used to come around and say, "Like, oh, do you want to come out and I don't know." around on the bikes or something like that. They'd always used to catch the smell and always be like, oh, can I have a bit of bread? It was ridiculous. He was like feeding the village. Um, and, you know, I've carried that tradition on uh, in a slightly less talented way. As, a, as his less talented son, I buy part, part-baked rolls from the supermarket and I finish <laughs> them off in the oven. Um, I was going to say, even, I do this either too. Either way, it hits the spot, right?
0: Yeah. Also, like, I will often go. There's a little right next to my house, and is my favourite place oh, on earth. There will be a gibberish ranking at some point little, about the best three things I found in middle bakery. of the Oh, but the little bakery is so good. Like, often I would just wander in, just get a, like a little bread, like fifty p, and then straight back out again. Come home, eat my warm bread. Very happy. Just, just butter, bread and butter.
1: Unreal. Simple. Yeah, the pan- I mean, it literally look, is live bread and butter. It but. is. It is the the paninis. You know, the, uh, and all that stuff from the from the fresh bakery are so good. Uh, you know. Anyway, look, you you know. Nowadays, we're always hearing this this phrase: "Let's get this bread." And even though that is specifically a reference to money and not sourdough, I believe it should be: "Let's get this freshly baked warm bread." yeah
0: I, tiger bread for mm. me or giraffe mm. bread i think they call it in some places that's my, my a sourdough i'll be honest well don't get it don't get the. i height. think it's um, i think it's but,
1: overrated but it's better toasted um i think but it, then it gets a bit sharp but tiger, tiger bread
0: tiger bread i could just eat forever Agreed. just eat an entire loaf thing of butter ideally carry gold but clover if you mm. can't um and and then i'm then i'm a happy boy a very very it's Rachel's happy favorite man. too yeah this now there we go Good, good taste. Good taste, Rachel. Good taste, me. Um, excellent. Right. On, on on the bread bombshell, we're going to call this one a day. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to you, Sam. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Gianni for joining us earlier. It's a real pleasure as ever to have him on the podcast. Um, and make sure you are following him for all those FPL tips throughout the season. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you as ever for listening to us if you do want more from us we do have two extra episodes every single week over on our Patreon the link is in the description Um, we think it's well worth it the price of a point per month and you get eight extra episodes access to the community Dean doing Q&As on transfers all sorts going on in our Patreon so make sure you give that a look if you're looking for something more at the start of this season enjoy the Euros as they begin and we will be back next week to talk all football with added dean jones ladies and gentlemen thanks for listening take it easy